Hey, listeners, uh, just a slight warning for this episode. There's no easy way to put this. The episode that you're about to listen to is low-key kind of cringe. I don't know how else to say it, but there are parts of it that are low-key kind of cringe. We recorded this over like two years ago, and it was before we had really a good feel of what was funny and what was just kind of in bad taste. So I hope that you'll keep that in mind going forward uh, with this episode and maybe a few of the other ones coming soon. Um, I don't know if you like them, don't pay this message any mind, but if maybe this isn't your favorite, then, uh, you know, there's some newer ones that may be more to your liking that we made after we got better at podcasting in general. Uh, so, uh, sit back and, uh, I guess enjoy it. Yeah. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome to the Leaving Eden Podcast. I am Gabrielle Hakoan, and I am here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. And we are here to talk about Sadie's life in the independent fundamental Baptist cult. So last week we had part one of a five-episode series that we're going to do about the IFE leadership, and it was the first of a two-part series about Jack Hiles, which we're going to continue next week. But this week, since uh, the more historical documentary style episodes feel different and they're kind of tough for us to record and they're a bit heavy in content um we're alternating between those and doing more of like a normal episode so this week this is going to be like a normal episode and so we're going to have a homework discussion at the end where i assigned sadie to watch all the episodes of freaks and geeks last time um and then next week we're going to go back and talk about jack hiles again but sadie we were having a conversation the other day where you said something that I thought was kind of funny and I thought that was kind of uh, controversial, to say the least. Uh, uh, so if you could tell me again <laughs> what it is specifically that you were talking about. Yeah, so I said something along the lines of this is like an old saying that goes around in churches. Okay. Catholics have the prettiest buildings. Pentecostals have the power in the spirit. Methodists show the most love. And Presbyterians have great faith, but Baptists have the best food. Now, when she told me to this, I I clearly, I found this to be wildly inaccurate because I would personally argue that among Christian denominations, at least, the Catholics have the best food. The Catholics can count within their ranks the culinary strongholds of France, Italy, Spain, 
of course, Mexico and also Poland. Like, I feel like as far as uh, food goes, Polish food is underrated. And like a lot of Jewish food and Polish food are the same. So I'm familiar with a lot of it. Um, And I got to thinking, what actually constitutes Baptist food? So like if you're saying, oh, Baptist food's the best, like what is that? So it's less of a specific type of food and more of the situations in which you would find yourself eating at church. So the, Ooh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing that you would have to know is that Baptist food is almost always a potluck type situation. Mmm, I love a good potluck. I mean, me too. And these these Who church doesn't? right these church pot potlucks though, um, they serve food first so often. So I was trying, I was really thinking and trying to come up with a a, a number that I feel like is accurate. Um, in the churches I grew up in, we ate as a church family probably 12 times a year or more. And then there's also a full meal served at every wedding and every funeral. Like, do you eat often at synagogue when you go? Uh, I mean, I only go for like the high holidays. I'm not. And like on the high hol, I guess for Rosh Hashanah, there's going to be food. There's going to be like. Because if the service is in the morning, it'll be like a, a spread of like bagels and locks or most people know it as smoked salmon and um, like cream cheese, onions, you know, like it, it'll be like hummus. It, and you know, it'll, sounds, it'll be really good. Yeah, that sounds like super delicious, but it's more it's of like, a... It's like a light, like healthy, you know, a, a, it's, <laughs> it's like clean eating, you know, like a brunch. Yeah, yeah, it's like a it's like a, a good quality like big snack or something. So I mean, you call that a big snack. I would call that like okay, I got a bagel and some yeah. To you, that's like, like a meal. Salmon, that's filling. Yeah, that's a meal. So here's the thing. So there's so much food at a typical Baptist church dinner that everybody who's there eats as much as they physically can hold. Like you eat so much that you could not eat another bite if you wanted to everybody eats like that and there are still leftovers that's how much food and it's not and it's not just even like a giant bin of mashed potatoes or whatever you're you're looking at like having like five or six side dishes five or six casseroles two different kinds of meat two or three different kind of rolls and i kid you not like 10 different desserts Wow, so you weren't kidding about like uh, about this food situation, though. There is a mind-blowing, wow, wow. at least in the church that I grew up in, a mind-blowing. I know that a lot of times food. on this podcast, Sadie tells me some detail about her life that really, so, like, sort of, she tells me this, like, sort of offhandedly. But to me, this seems so insane <laughs> that I just can't comprehend it. But this time... I got to tell Sadie something that gave her a similar reaction when we were hashing out ideas for what we were going to talk about in this episode with regards to food. I mentioned, and get this, um, I mentioned that when I was growing up, my refrigerator almost never had mayonnaise in it. When you said that, I was absolutely speechless. I was so shocked because I don't know how... How do you make sandwiches without mayonnaise? So Jewish like how do you people, eat a sandwich? Jewish people, we don't eat mayo. We eat mustard. Like if you have mustard, then why would you need mayonnaise? 
Because like you think like you when you think both. about like Jewish food, when you have like a like what are we known for? We're very much known for like delis. And like, if you go to a Jewish deli, like what's the sandwich that you're going to try to get? You're going to have like pastrami on rye with sauerkraut and mustard. That's like the sandwich. That's like the best one. And there's going to be like a big pickle on the side. That's going to be like the best one. And that, that sandwich doesn't have any mayo on it. Like, why would you want to put mayo on that sandwich? Well, you don't need mayo on that one, I guess, because you have sauerkraut. Like, mayo is to keep your sandwich from being gross and dry. Yeah, but you have mustard. Mustard is the same texture as mayonnaise, but it has flavor. Like, there's no possible situation in which mayonnaise is used that mustard would be able to do not would that mustard would not be able to do the exact same job, only better. If you (laughs) by using (laughs) mayonnaise instead of mustard, you are actively choosing mediocrity. When flavor and spiciness are readily available. And I just want to say this right here is that Barack Obama agrees with me and the right wing couldn't handle his bravery when he ordered spicy mustard because his aspirations of flavor put them in face-to-face confrontation with their own mediocrity. And I stand by that. Don't at me. So I, I, it's it's nice to know that you have so much passion about mustard. Uh, okay, like I, the only the only time that you, <laughs> like that I would ever see anybody eating like mayo would be like if there was like tuna. That's like it. I, I, I don't know. I, it also just seems weird to me that you can call something a salad when there isn't like fruit or vegetable like as the main ingredient. See, yeah, I think in. I don't know if it's Midwest world or white people world or Baptist world. I don't know exactly where the line is drawn here. Goyish world. <laughs> yeah, that that too. No, Weirdest theme park I've ever been to. <laughs> oh, we could we could we could design that. That would be fun. Um anyway. If so I think a They salad... were so excited to have me as a guest. They were <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I think salad is anything that's not cooked, like any combination of ingredients that are not cooked together. They're just like stirred together. Huh. And specifically in in Baptist food world, um, if it's called a salad, the likelihood of it having mayo in it is like 95%. Okay. So even like, Even like, I hate, and I hate to tell you this, but even like the lettuce salad, like, you know, lettuce and vegetables and things. Yeah. Yeah. That's got mayo in it too. So, okay. So like my, my favorite, one of my favorite quote unquote salads growing up was seven layer salad. Seven layer salad. Okay. What are the layers? So, okay. I'm familiar with seven layer dip and the seven layer burrito from Taco Bell. (laughs) So this was actually spoofed on how I met your mother. Okay, so so what are the seven layers? So the seven layers are <clears throat> lettuce, red onion, okay. celery, okay. peas. Okay. These are all things you put in a salad. And then it kind of goes. That's nothing weird. Then it kind of goes haywire because you have cheddar cheese. Okay, that's not too weird. Bacon. And I, I wouldn't eat that, but. And mayo. And here's the. The issue, there's a special secret ingredient in the mayo. What? 
Do you want to? Do you want to try to guess? <laughs> do I want to try to guess? Uh, I'm gonna. Let's see. I was gonna say like it's like a chipotle mayo, but I remember that you guys don't do spicy. Um, <laughs> what? What's the special ingredient? Sugar. 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 What? Okay. Lettuce, red onion, celery, peas, cheddar cheese, bacon, and mayo that has sugar mixed into it. That's kind of... So it's like putting Big Mac special sauce on your... I was was honestly... Why is there... I don't know. I was a little shocked when I when I researched the ingredients for that. But that's that's so deeply unnecessary. That's like because when I was growing up, you know, so my house, uh, I mean, my mom ate meat, but like not red meat because, you know, we were trying to be heart healthy and stuff like that. But my dad uh, was has been like vegetarian since the 1970s. So like when we were like, oh, well, here's a salad, you know, it was like some it was like it would be like a seven layer salad but the seven different layers would be seven different kinds of greens and maybe like cherry tomatoes and cucumbers and stuff and there would be like spinach arugula like iceberg like not actually no we never had iceberg lettuce like spinach arugula like romaine red leaf <laughs> like all the like all that stuff all like the it, was, lettuce. it was it was like a, a mixed green cornucopia and then he my dad would always like make a special salad dressing. And I think it was like, um, it was like his own vinaigrette dressing. Cause like a lot of times you go to the grocery store and like, you look at the back of the salad dressing and there's sugar in it. Like, even if it's like an oil and vinegar type thing. So he would oh, make yeah. his own. Yeah. He would make his own. And it was like, um, like olive oil, flaxseed oil, um, like salt. No, no, there wasn't salt in it, but there was pepper. Um, there was mustard. It was like Dijon mustard. And then, uh, red wine and balsamic vinegar um, so like that's what you're some, eating some growing else. up yeah. <laughs> and yeah. i'm so, eating like, a salad all, with mayonnaise <laughs> so those are all like healthy ingredients that you're gonna like put together you mix it up and then you put it on, like and it's really good it's you know it's it's a great salad dressing if you want to make that salad dressing at home um i'm sure he wouldn't be mad but um anyway what i what i wanted to do for this episode is that i wanted to get to like comparing Jewish food to Baptist food by category. And I want to start with sides. Okay. So we just kind of like compared to your salad versus my salad. Something you should know about Jewish food is I guess that a lot of it can be carb heavy, but like only certain dishes. So like we have like as far as casseroles go, because we don't do a lot of casseroles, but we have one called Kugel, which can be either made with like noodles or potatoes, but it's like a savory casserole. But it can also be like a sweet casserole. Like sometimes there's raisins in it. It's pretty good. It's not my favorite thing. But like the as far as like something you have on the side, the best thing that you want is challah. And challah is like, if you're not familiar, um, it is the best bread in the world. It's it's like this this bread made from eggs and. And we braid it into like uh, into like almost like a rope looking thing and it's thick and it's it's so delicious. I'm sure you've had it. I I have at some point. And I think we talked about at some point uh, we've talked about how this is it's kind of related to brioche because, you know, I'm a I'm a bread baker. You are. Yeah. Bakery geek. Uh, If you don't know that about Sadie, she's really good at baking. But we Um, have talked about how Hala is like it's um. 
sort of related to brioche in the type of dough that it is. Uh, and then I went off on this long bakery geek thing on you about how uh, breads with eggs or breads with milk or breads with both uh, take different rising times and different rising temperatures because those ingredients inhibit the yeast. And oh, no, I'm doing it again. Sorry. Well, see, here's the thing is that in Jewish, in like kosher cooking, kosher cooking uh, is has very specific rules. Like if you go to somebody's house who's like, like you can't mix meat and dairy. Like mm-hmm. you can, you can't mix meat and dairy like ever. If you go to somebody's house who's Jewish and like strictly like strict, strict kosher, they'll have two refrigerators and they'll have different dishware. And like, they'll even, really? they even might have like two dishwashers. Yeah. Because they're like, okay, this is the dishwasher for the dishes that we put meat on. And this is the dishwasher for the dishes that we put dairy on. And do um, you like, do you have like personal friends like that? Yeah. I know a few people huh, like I cool. like not. Like not a lot because I mean, if you lived because we live in Portland, but I know a couple like a few Orthodox people who have very strict dietary restrictions, and I've been like you know I'll go over to their house or something. I guess not now because we're in quarantine, but I'll go over to their house and like I'll just like have to. Oh right, you do have two refrigerators, and that's why. And like sometimes you know because a lot of Jewish people are lactose intolerant. A lot of times they'll have like a main fridge and then there'll be like a mini fridge. (laughs) <laughs> and the mini fridge will have like, oh, this one's just for dairy. But like the only thing that's in there is like like a block of cheese or something like that. But, but basically does, when, wait, it, when it comes to bread, eggs, what do eggs are eggs, meat or dairy? Eggs are neither. Oh, eggs, eggs are neither. Eggs are neither. Uh, 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 fish is neither. So eggs could be mixed with meat or with milk as long as the meat and the milk aren't mixed. Exactly. So like okay. when it comes to when oh, it comes to like, it the bread, yeah, when it comes to the bread, you're like, okay, well, you can't put like eggs are the main source of like fat or whatever in the bread and makes it taste like how it tastes. And you even like put an egg glaze over the top. So it's all shiny. It's mm-hmm. it's really good. Uh, so hypothetically, if you're kosher, you could eat a sandwich with meat in it on brioche. Or you could make French toast out of it where there's milk involved. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Hala. But that makes that makes sense. You want to make French toast out of Hala. Let me tell you, if you ever get it. Like, oh, I'm sure you, you do. I made it's some brioche. The best, it's the best for French toast like that there is. Go to the bakery. Get a go to like go to like the if there's a Jewish bakery near you, go there, get a Hala. It's or you can just make it yourself. It's not that hard to make. See, I really want to give it a try. I did uh, I did brioche at the beginning of the quarantine, uh, I but I burned it a little bit because it was my first first time trying it. So whatever casserole are you going to put or like whatever side are you going to put against this? Against so this delicious, have- delicious bread that also has religious significance because we always have it at the you say the blessings over the bread when you have Shabbat, which is a hamosi lechemin haoritz. And it's about, yeah. So, um, so you remember me talking about my friend Daniel from high school? Yeah. Okay. So what I would put against that is Daniel's mom's mac and cheese. And I admit, I am cheating a little bit here because Daniel's mom is not IFB. She is Baptist. (laughs) Okay. Um, But we are talking about Baptist food, not strictly IFB food. Okay, good. So Daniel's mom's mac and cheese is... Mm. No, uh, Daniel's mom just rules at cooking anyway. Like, regardless, she is one of the best cooks I've ever known. So would you go, I guess you wouldn't be going over to his house because 
that that's taboo but we just we just didn't go to people's houses a lot anyway i don't know if that's i'd be just like but if it was like with the potluck or whatever she would she would show up you'd invite Mm -hmm. her just for the mac oh yeah Yeah. and then daniel's birthday every year um she would cook uh lunch for the entire school uh because we went to we went to private you know, I oh, right. And your together. school was so small. Okay. And so that worked. Wow. Right. That's so really there's sweet. like 40, there's like 40 kids in the school and every year for his birthday, she would cook, um, spaghetti, seven layer salad, mac and cheese and cake for his birthday. And that was like my favorite day of the year. <laughs> okay. So you know what? Here's the thing is that I love Hala, but as far as you're concerned, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say that Daniel's mom's mac and cheese wins this round because I'm not really going to try to contest that whether or not because I've never had it, but I'm not and I'm it's not like going to disparage it. It's like I love four kinds of cheese. It's like a oh, one, that sounds delicious. You're, like, like a half cup serving weighs approximately a pound and a half. It's, it's just okay. dense. What I'll tell you is that there is a because I guess Kugel is like a noodle casserole. So I'm going to tell you that there's a hundred percent chance that it's better than Kugel. Okay. But anyway, okay. So I wasn't, I was expecting to win zero in all of this. So winning no, one, that, that makes me happy. <laughs> you can like, you can have that one. I'll, Thanks. I'll let you, I'll let you have that one. Um, at least I, over Kugel. Hala is kind of separate. Cause I don't know what you guys do for bread. Maybe like white bread or something like that. Uh, cornbread. Oh, cornbread! Cornbread, or like those those rolls that come in like the circular pie pan. Have you had those? You mean Probably Hawaiian not. bread? No, uh, it's like it's like a, a tin pie pan, circular. You buy them at the store? Yeah. Okay, then no, that that loses. Okay, so bread, <laughs> I bread, I win. Casserole, you win. I'll, I'll get. I'll. Okay. I'll uh, are we Are we happy to say that? Are we happy to say that? I'll, I'll take. Uh, I'll take that. Yeah. Okay, so I want to move on to desserts because the first thing that you said, or not the first thing, but one of the when we started talking about what we were going to talk about for this episode, I was like, okay, well, tell me about Baptist foods. The first thing you're like, desserts. Like, let me tell you. So tell tell the nice people what you have going <laughs> for desserts. Yeah. So the desserts are definitely the star of the show. Okay. In this scenario. And the older ladies in my church had just literally endless dessert recipes you're talking mm. so so you go over to an old lady's house and she's got two shelves of cookbooks and the top shelf is like regular food and the bottom shelf is dessert hundreds of dessert recipes so at this like hypothetical baptist church dinner that we're setting up you could have two or three kinds of cake and two kinds of pie and some, you know, three or four different types of cookies. And then a couple, like some jello and another like weirdo dessert that I'll tell you about in a minute. And like, uh, have you ever had those powdered sugar, lemon shortbread bars? Yes. Like always definitely some of those. Like you just mentioned those now and just like, I want one. You know, I think I'm going to make some pretty soon. So I'm sure I'm sure that these old church ladies have wonderful recipes and wonderful baking abilities. And I think you know, that's like all old doing ladies. It all their lives. Yeah. Really no, so I'll we have like this variety of desserts. So uh, I'm not going to tell you then about my past experience with making apple pie, but instead of the filling being made of sugar, it's made of Mountain Dew. I should probably just what not on? tell you about Mountain? that, huh? 
And you thought it was weird for talking about Mountain Moo. <laughs> so tell me about some like what else do you guys have? So you have the pies, you have the so cakes. Many. What else do you have? So so if you walk into like this Baptist church dinner, there's going to be folding tables set up down the wall like a buffet. And you're going to have a separate table for desserts. And typically it would be like an entire eight foot long by three feet wide folding table of desserts. So you've got like all of the standard, you've got like a chocolate cake and and a carrot cake and uh, apple pie and a lemon meringue pie and three or four different kinds of cookies and those delicious lemon bars that we were talking about. And then you've Mm. also probably got some weird like 70s jello based desserts. Mm. Um, Like one that I remember is a, it's kind of like a, like a chocolate lasagna. What on earth is chocolate lasagna? So, Tell me immediately. So my, <laughs> so my memory is kind of fuzzy on this sort of thing, and it's almost certainly from the insane sugar high. But so you've got like a, some kind of variation <laughs> on. <laughs> so this is like a variation on the theme of like you've got a layer of chocolate pudding, a layer of graham crackers, a layer of whipped cream or like Cool Whip, and then like a layer of chocolate chips, and then you got another layer of chocolate pudding and another layer of graham crackers, and then. Like layered like that. It's some sort of like weird layered dessert. So okay, that, that sounds... in general is like pretty popular. Like you might have a layered dessert that has Reese's cups as one of the layers. Like I remember when I was in like, high it seems school. Like, it seems like you guys have a lot of like pre-packaged like ingredients. Oh yeah, it's definitely. Like, yeah, like yeah. everything in that is is pre-packaged in a way. Or like processed, because you have chocolate pudding graham crackers, whipped cream, and Cool Whip or like chocolate mm. chips, you know? So layered desserts are really very popular. So anything – so if you take just like a, you know, pick any four kind of, um, you know, different flavors of pudding, different types of graham crackers, different types of like like Twinkies or Little Debbie cakes, uh, packaged candy bars – like Reese's or, or crushed up Oreos or something like that. And just like pick like any four of those things and put them in a dessert. And you might find that at a Baptist potluck. Like when I was in high school, I made these super, super popular brownies. And it would be oh, like. Oh, okay. So I, it, I, you know what? I had a friend in high school who would make super popular brownies too. But then <laughs> he got suspended. <laughs> Uh, probably a little different than that. Um, I would have like brownie mix and then you put a, a Reese's cup in there and then you pour a little bit more brownie mix on top and then you put an Oreo on top of that and then you like sink that in brownie mix as well. So you cut okay. into the brownies and you've got like, you know, an Oreo on top of a Reese's cup inside a brownie. This is like 50% Guy Fieri, but also 50% Jim Jones. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. I think it is just like really only recently occurred to me that like diner food with a bunch of fat and cheese or ridiculous mind-blowing over-the-top desserts are not normal food to most people because that was just like church food. To me, that was just like what I had, you know, 12, 14 times a year, every funeral, every wedding. This is just what we do. So have you ever had babka? 
I have, but it came from Panera Bread, so I don't know how authentic. I've never be. gotten babka from Panera Bread, but babka is del- it's like a, a a braided like sweet bread is how I describe it, and you can have it chocolate, or you can have it cinnamon, you know, or or sometimes yeah, chocolate I've, I've is what people, I had. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really good. That's like a, a traditional Jewish dessert. Uh, we've also got rugelach, which is uh, like a, a type of like wrapped cookie that they'll have like nuts and and some. Yeah, they'll have like nuts in it. We've got souffignot, which are like uh, like a jelly donut. And then we've got macaroons, which are not to be confused with macarons. Okay, Which what's are the like, difference? So macarons, those are like those weird French cookies that have no flavor, right? Okay, they have flavor if I make them. Okay, well, <laughs> but mac- macaroons are made from like coconut. Oh, okay, because yeah, the French yeah, so ones you, are made you know from almond about? flour. Yeah, so so macaroons are they're made from coconut, and um, it's it's the type of thing you get them at like Passover, like Pesach, which is like so it's a the, holiday food. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. But they're they're okay. delicious. They're really good if you like coconut. Um, and then like souffignot, we usually eat that like at hamantash uh, at, at Hanukkah. But next, I wanted to talk about hamantashen, which is um, a food that we eat during Purim, which is known to outsiders as Jewish Halloween, which is the celebration of the Book of Esther. But the deal with hamantashen, this is a funny story, is that there's this guy named Haman who tried to commit genocide against the Jews. And he was unsuccessful at it. And he had a weird, like, triangular, like, pirate hat. Um, okay. And so, like, for the rest of so we made a cookie called the Hamantaschen, which is, like, you take, like, a, a like a sort of, like, a sugar cookie, like, a, a, a thin, like, a sugar cookie. And then you put a, and you have it cut in a circle. And then you put, like, some filling, like, some jam or something in the middle or, um some dates or something and then you fold it up so it's a triangle so basically this guy was unsuccessful at committing genocide and then we spend the rest of history clowning for how stupid his hat looks <laughs> like trolling like, him yeah we made a cookie yeah dead. we made a cookie to troll wow. this guy about like oh you couldn't kill us so i feel your like hat was <laughs> stupid you idiot <laughs> so like the entire so much of jewish food it seems like is is trolling something or someone <laughs> I mean, some some of it is like, like, yeah. I mean, we've got the matzah from from uh, from Passover, which you know that's all about. Like, oh, we couldn't, we didn't have time to bake the bread, so we just like mixed flour and water, and we're like, let's go. But yeah. that's like that. There's like a week of the year where you got to eat that, and you're like, oh, I hate this. And then everybody is like, oh, look at these recipes that I made with matzah, and I'm just like, I hate all of this. Even though I don't even eat that much bread to begin with. Regardless, I want to move on to soups because soups, okay. I feel like, is – is wait, we have to decide who wins desserts. I feel oh. like we can – we can like yours are like more extravagant, but I feel like I would rather have mine. See, I feel like we could call a tie on desserts. We can call a tie on because, desserts. I'm not willing to – so we're one-to-one. Because, because the classic – yeah, the classic stuff, um, Baptists do perfectly well. Which I think I proved with my. Oh, I'm sure pie. with like, yeah, with like <laughs> chocolate cake. I'm sure you guys' chocolate yeah. cake is delicious. Um, the classic stuff is like is like always super good, and there's one lady in every church who can pull off like divinity, um, and those like more difficult desserts to make. Hmm. Okay. And I well, I've a lot of what you're describing, although I totally would. Yeah, we'll, we'll I have a. 
we'll have like a taste test at some time and you'll be like, oh man, this is really good. Uh, but uh, if Corona ever ends, the first thing we're going to do is like make each other try all this stuff. Oh, that's going to be amazing. I'm really excited. Um, but I want to move on to soups because soups, I feel like we can, we can hit pretty strong. Like Jews can hit pretty strong with soups. Like, first of all, we've got, um, we, we've got basically, there's like three soups that I think of when I think of, of Jewish cooking. The first is pretty good, but it's not like the best one. It's called borscht. I don't know if you've ever had borscht. It's usually made mm-hmm. from like beets. It's like Ukrainian, Russian. So like, um, but it's, it's like a little sweet and sour and you eat it with like sour cream. It's pretty good. The second soup that we've got is matzo ball soup. Um, and matzo ball soup is delicious. Uh, have you ever, have you ever had matzo ball soup? No, I haven't. And last time, actually last time we ate together, you had some, and if it hadn't been Corona times, I would have been yeah, like, I would have offered yo, you give, I would have been like, yo, give me some of your soup, but we're trying to like distance and stuff. What a ma- matzo ball soup. Like it, it all depends on how good you are at making like a good broth, but like usually it'll be like a chicken broth or like a vegetable broth. Uh, we'll have some vegetables in it. And then the soup, like, but the matzo ball, like the important thing is the matzo ball. And the matzo ball is like, we, we talked about matzo earlier. It's basically bread, or it's, it's water and flour mixed together and then cooked into like a, a, a cracker. And then that's ground up into matzo meal. And then you make the matzo meal into a ball and then you put the ball in the soup. And so it's like this oh. soup, this ball of, um, of like almost like of basically like bread. Oh, I had no idea. I thought that was like it, it. It absorbs the soup in it, and then you like eat it with a spoon, and oh, it's so good. So like, if you get like a really good broth, the matzo ball is like, like absorbs the broth, and it's 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 next level. So I had no idea. I thought that was just like a regular old like flour and water dumpling. No, it's it's made from matzo meal. So, it's, it's okay, really so it's, it's really, baked it's really, really, really and then good. it's ground up and then it's put in a ball again. I've never made it myself. I don't know if it's, I don't know how to make matzo balls. People are going to be like, you know, what, how do you not know? I think there might be egg in it too. I totally, I totally need to look that up because I feel yeah. like um, I'm in, in my, in my bakery journey, I like making anything that's, that's flour based. Cause that's where I feel right. like I excel because I, I understand the chemistry of how this works. Yeah, so and that's, that's a good something thing to I need at. to. Well, that's something I need to look up because I'm always interested in in food chemistry, but especially where flour and grain is involved. Yeah, and so the third kind of soup that I want to bring up, and this is like the this will beat everything, is maybe grandma grandma's chicken soup, Bubby's chicken soup. Is that it? Like, if if you are sick, your grandmother makes you chicken soup, and then you are immediately healed. Like it's, it's like, you know, you know, in like Legend of Zelda, when you drink like the, the red potion and it like gives you full hearts or something like, it's like that, like, you know, you could have like cancer and then your grandma's like, here, have some soup. And you're like, I don't have cancer anymore. Like, that's how it works. Okay. Yeah. But I wanted to talk to you. So now that we're at soups though, I get to tell you about one of my absolute favorite foods in the entire world. Okay, is it better than the Bobby's chicken soup? I mean, I don't know, but it's called cheeseburger soup. 
And what in God's name is cheeseburger soup? Saying? The best food ever. It is the best food ever. Oh. Okay, so it's like um, dear Lord, you know, carrot, celery, onion, saute. Okay, that sounds all right. <laughs> yeah, and then you put in uh, chicken broth and some potatoes. Okay, okay, cook that up. Okay, and then you put in uh, cooked ground beef. Okay, so and then <laughs> sounds like a decent soup. And then you mix in like half a block of Velveeta. <laughs> and uh so you don't so you, tell me there's more oh yeah <laughs> so you mix in like half a block of Velveeta and it turns like orange and thick and it's so good and then you serve it with um sour cream and like green onions and bacon bits and more cheddar on top <sighs> and it is so good Cheeseburger soup sounds like a coronary in a bowl. Like, I don't think that any I mean, I'm food, not debating that. I'm just debating that it's delicious. I don't think any food that contains Velveeta, like, which is technically not cheese, which is technically cheese food, can ever be called the best food ever. Dude, this is like my favorite food. I, it is I'm, just so delicious. So, like, I talk about, like, matzo ball soup being delicious and how Bobby's chicken soup can cure cancer. But cheeseburger soup will give you cancer. So it's almost it's kind of hard for me to comprehend your just total disgust of this food. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you. Is that my dad was a physician for 30 years. Um, and so growing up at the dinner table, you know, he'd come home from work. It would be, like, a long day at the office because he worked, like, probably 10-hour days. Um and then he would tell us, oh, I had this one obese person come in with or like a diabetic obese person come in and I would tell them, OK, you have to eat healthier and, you know, increase your levels of physical activity so that you don't die because it's just it's just making your life so much worse. And you're having like all these problems, all these all these complications. Um, and then they'd keep eating this type of bull. <gasps> And then they keep drinking gallons of soda and then they would have heart attacks and like health problems directly related to their diet. And so like I grew up understanding that like unhealthy food like this can be like extremely addictive. Like people are people are so addicted to this stuff that they like don't want it that they don't want to stop eating it even when it's literally killing them. And like, so you're telling me about all of these foods and I'm thinking in my mind, your parents let you eat that like on a regular basis. Cause like we never even had soda in the house, you know, like the, the sweetest thing that was in our refrigerator was like orange juice. And you're telling me, oh, we're out here eating cheeseburger soup. And I'm like, what on earth? So for one, our dinner conversation was more about how people needed to follow Jesus and follow Jack Hiles more, which is just great. (laughs) But no, we never, so we never ate, we never ate this stuff, this kind of thing at home uh, because it was, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but my parents perceived that kind of food as being too expensive because as we've talked about before, this is a cult that takes your time and takes your money. So like processed, fast, cheap foods, that's what you eat. Like it's got to be quick to make and it's got to be super cheap. Okay. So this is stuff that I ate like at church dinners, like when other people cooked. 
Um, but it was it was always like my favorite thing. At home we ate really, really simple. So like, you know, two vegetables and a meat. Um the other thing though, I wasn't really aware that I was aware as a child growing up that that adults could eat things that were unhealthy. I didn't know that children could be unhealthy. I just kind of thought that children got a free pass. So like as a kid, you can eat everything. Like food can't make you have diabetes or food can't make you sick until you're 18. It's like a switch that flips on or something. But like cheap food doesn't have to be unhealthy, right? Because like you can make like rice and beans and you can get some spices and throw some vegetables in and you don't even need meat in there. And that'll fill you up and it's dirt cheap and there's like tons of flavor and there's tons of nutritional value and won't car like won't clog your arteries. Yeah, like, and that's I, more like that's, that's more what like, I did in college. That's more like what we were eating at home more of the time. Okay. And, yeah. and I can certainly agree that that people should not be eating cheeseburger soup daily or like weekly or okay or monthly. But I'm I'm going to stand this. It's delicious, and I'm going to stand by it as like my twice yearly treat. Okay. Like you're just gonna have to deal with the fact that that you know if this shortens my life by a year over the course of the whole thing, to me, cheeseburger soup is worth it. Okay. Well, <laughs> I promise. Like once every six months. That's all. I am not going to allow you to win that. That's that fine. Face off. I'll take the L and then I'll go. You'll take the you'll take the L because of um because of the the rising rates of obesity and heart disease in this country. That's that's why I'm taking a stand. I'll take my Velveeta and my cheeseburger soup and like the the week of like shame double workouts. Yeah, it's like Velveeta is cheese food the same time the same way that Mad Dog 2020 is wine drink. Oh, see, that's the thing. I absolutely refuse to drink any malt beverage. Like, I will not drink that. I will I won't even drink Fosters. It just like it makes me so sick. Okay. I, well I refuse, but I'll but I'll eat cheeseburger soup. You happily. didn't you <laughs> didn't go to uh you went to cult college. You didn't go to regular I didn't college. go to college, yeah. You didn't get to learn these things the hard way like I did it. 19 and 18 and oh goodness no i no i didn't yeah (laughs) i started drinking as a classy adult like i have to ask because you mentioned earlier um is is so is it true that like everybody has to take some of something so that nobody feels slighted so i'm not 100 percent sure but like what's the worst food that you guys have like if somebody brings it like they're like like yeah like nobody's taking any of it so I'm not sure if the idea that you have, like, everybody has to take a little bit of everybody's food. I don't know if that was, like, I don't know if that's churches as a whole or if that's just because I was a pastor's kid and my parents wanted us to not show favoritism and be kind of political. So I don't know. I don't know exactly because I was I was too young to really understand the whole ramifications of that. I will tell you what the worst food is. Tell me the worst food. <laughs> It's well, it's really just stuff that I hate. So like any kind of hot tuna casserole. Ugh, is... I already spoken how I feel about tuna. Okay, so but my personal least favorite Baptist food is ambrosia. Ambrosia. What is ambrosia? So it's like a it's like a version of Waldorf salad. Have you had Waldorf salad? I do not know what that is. Oh, okay. 
So, okay, let's take a step back. Waldorf salad is a fruit and nut salad. So, like, it's like oh, apple, mm. celery, grapes, Yum. and walnuts. And then it's tossed in yogurt. Oh, yogurt's or, all right. Yeah, but if you're Baptist, it's tossed in mayo. What? Is, so what is it with you guys in mayonnaise? I do not understand it. Like, it's so generic. It doesn't have flavor. Like, you are, like, you're not adding anything to it by putting mayo in. It's literally adding white filler. It's like the wallpaper paste of food. And, like, that salad that you described to me sounded really nice until you mentioned just adding all the mayo. It's unnecessary. If you have, like, a fruits, nuts, apple, celery, grapes, and walnuts, and, like, you didn't have mayo, I'd be like, mm, yeah, I'll eat that with a spoon out of a bowl. That sounds delicious. But no. Like, why are you guys adding mayo to all of this stuff? I really think – so this is just my personal, like, theory here. But I really think it's because IFB food, much like their fashion, is just permanently stuck in the late 70s, early 80s. So you'd find, like, they don't have fondue because that's too expensive. But a okay. lot of the foods that they would have – are like trendy foods from the early late seventies or early eighties. So like pimento cheese sandwiches or black forest cake, like stuff that, or like deviled eggs, stuff that Why? became, st well, stuff that became trendy for the first time, like through the seventies heading into the eighties because so, they're, they're culturally stuck in that time period. So like my, I do like pimento cheese though. One thing my parents told me is that growing up today, food tastes so much better than it used to, like night and day. Like I was talking about earlier, I saw recipes from my mom's old 1960s Betty Crocker cookbook, and they're unfathomably bizarre, like way too much sugar and all of this. Like talk to any boomer and any person who is around in the 60s and 70s, and they will tell you how much better regular food tastes now than it did back then how we have like fresher and more flavorful fruits and vegetables that you can get at the grocery store that are fresh and i like i don't know if it's to do with better refrigeration or less processing or but it's anyway it's something. like i i like waldorf salad fine but what i yeah, hate it, it sounds all right well, if you made it with yogurt, like you'd probably try that. If, I'd, I'd make it with Greek yogurt. That sounds really good. Yeah, like that's how In it's fact, supposed like, to be made. What do I eat? I come back from the gym. What do I eat? I take like a bowl of Greek yogurt, put grapes in it, and then I got like a bag of peanuts. I throw that in. That's like my basic ass Waldorf salad. So I know that you eat like a crap ton of Greek yogurt. Because, I love Greek yogurt. Well, it's when so we good. used to work together, you would bring your lunch to work in like an emptied out Greek yogurt container. Yeah. Well, like, my lunch was always Greek yogurt with grapes and uh and peanuts in it. Yeah, I've seen you it eat that. It was delicious. It's But it's anyway, like my favorite th like if I'm getting up in the morning, I'm like, "Oh, I want energy for today. That's what I'm eating." So, we've 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 established that Waldorf salad gets a gets a at least a fairly neutral that's okay from us. It's oh, it's fine. Okay, yeah, but what I hated was ambrosia. What's ambrosia? Ambrosia is a food that I think you will agree is straight out of the depths of hell. So we got canned fruit, usually like mandarin oranges and pineapple, maybe some peaches and also maraschino cherries. See, I would rather have just like the fresh version, but you can't get those year round. But like, yeah. I'm not complaining. But you it's got like, like these. Cup. Yeah, you got that. And then you got coconut flakes. Okay. This is still pretty. This is still okay. Yeah, that's and all then right. you. 
You know those little colorful mini marshmallows? Like in the bag, you got like green ones and pink ones and orange ones and white ones all in the same bag. I don't like where this is going. (laughs) So you mix those in and then you got the dressing, which is Cool Whip mixed with sour cream. Okay, here's yeah. my problem with all of this stuff is that you get canned fruit, that's fine, and add some coconut flakes. You know what? That sounds pretty good. But like you guys just got it like over why the marshmallows? <laughs> it's unnecessary. <laughs> it just makes everything worse. Like buying a it's like buying like a cottage in a little village, and then you leave your Christmas decorations up year round with a singing Santa. Ah, uh... I, I... <laughs> I mean, I agree because I, I, as a kid, I hated it and I still just hate the texture of ambrosia because it's so, because you got like fluffy. So the Cool Whip kind of melts because it's not refrigerated. You don't put it in the refrigerator, you know, you take it out of the refrigerator and put it on the dessert table. Sure. And the Cool Whip kind of melts and it gets sticky. And then you've got this, and then the marshmallows kind of dissolve into the fruit juice and the Cool Whip. So you've got this fluffy goo. And then inside this fluffy goo that is has weird colors because the marshmallows are dissolving into the fruit juice, uh, you've got chunks of fruit. And it's it's a texture thing. I cannot with ambrosia. It's the grossest. So my mom makes a completely different version of ambrosia. It's literally just fresh fruit. If, like She makes ambrosia with like cut up mandarin oranges, cut up orange slices. Mm cut up grapefruit maybe like some, fresh stuff not canned yeah like maybe some canned pineapple or something because she doesn't okay, like that's not pineapples and then she throws some coconut flakes in there and some cherries and that's it that sounds good and it's like 100 percent better it's a totally acceptable does, that have, does it have like all the marshmallows and stuff in it though no no marshmallows no cool whip just fruit and coconut i will eat that any day of the week like that sounds delicious I'll yeah eat it's that. completely mm. fine I love eating fruit, man. Like growing up, see, we never, because we had a healthy household. So we never had like sugary snacks. It was always like, oh, well, we got tons of oranges. There's apples there. There's grapes. There's cherries, the fridge. There's bananas that like. Yeah. So like that's, that's my mom's way of making it is totally fine. But it's the 70s dessert, man, with the mini marshmallows and the Cool Whip. And it is just, that is my least favorite Baptist food. So I have a question. Are, are any of the foods that you would find at the potluck like, worse than gefilte fish? Uh, is that like – so I imagine that's like Swedish fish? No. Like candy? No, it's it's not. So gefilte fish is like white fish, usually like it's carp. But then it's like made into a paste and then it's made into a ball and then they put it in a jar with brine. And okay. oh, it it tastes like if you like made a fart into a sponge, like Ugh. that's how I describe oh. it to you. It's the most unapp- unappetizing thing, and like it's like if you took fish smell and then made it into a hot dog, but like the hot dog is more porous, it is more porous, and it's grayish tan and it's kind of soggy. Oh. Like everybody knows that gefilte fish is terrible. So I do like pickled herring. I've never had pickled herring. No, if you've never been to a, like, I always have it on my birthday. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I like pickled herring. So I might, I might maybe not hate that. 
Is it okay? So this is. Is it like how nobody likes fruitcake, and it's like a mystery why anyone still manufactures it? Yeah, it's exactly like that. Like so, that. like the like thing cultural is, cultural food. There's always one guy. There's always one guy who's like, I like gefilte fish, and then he's like showing off how much he likes it, like an absolute psychopath. So my dad is that guy with fruitcake. Like he legit likes it. Is your dad a psychopath? No, he just actually likes fruitcake. Like to be <laughs> fair, <laughs> I've had my grandmother, so his mother uh, used to make fruitcake and I've had her version before she passed away. And she definitely did a less bad version of fruitcake. She was magical and an amazing cook. And she could at least pull off less bad fruitcake. So here's a question. Like, what is like a food faux pas? So at the church I grew up in, we also, we had some interesting people who went there. As as I would expect. And I will tell you, when I figure out an ethical way to tell these stories and be sure that I'm not compromising anybody's identity uh, or like personal stuff. I've got some stories. I like I want to tell you these crazy stories about crazy people in my church growing up, but I don't I don't want anybody to like feel like they're getting called out. Okay. Well So I'm gonna figure it out and I'm gonna tell you about some of these people. But we had some interesting situations regarding the potlucks. Like once someone showed up with a loaf of white bread. Well, honestly, I'd take a loaf of white bread over whatever the hell ambrosia is. True that. You're absolutely right. But I think somebody may like I have a vague memory of somebody showing up like with an onion or something. Just like un, a, one I wouldn't be mad at that. I eat onions onion. go in everything. That's a great I mean, ingredient. That's true, but it's a potluck. Everybody has brought food that is already you could, cooked. You could George Costanza and then just take a <laughs> bite out of it and be like, oh thank you, and then just like take a bite out of it like you're eating an apple. I mean, yeah, yeah. But no, so those are like some some faux pas. And then um, here's another one. And this is a 100% true story. To ask to take plates of food home for your cats. Rest in peace to the carpet of anybody who feeds their cat ambrosia. <laughs> Dude, Harry would absolutely never. Like my sweet baby cat is so much smarter than that. Just saying. Anyway, it's also, like you said earlier, it's also, it's a faux pas to, like, avoid one particular person's food. Um, and, and really the most polite thing to do would be to go through this buffet. And I mentioned how much food this is. We're talking, like, four eight-foot folding tables completely covered in food, not just, like, one row, like, two or three rows deep and four folding tables long. And how you're really expected to go through this is take like a tiny portion of each dish. So that's the other reason it's been a little bit hard for me to categorize some of these foods is because you don't eat this like it's a normal meal. You eat two tablespoons of 15 to 30 different foods. But that's so much pressure and you can't even get enough of what you like. So we were allowed after we had some of everything, we were allowed to go back and get more of our favorite thing. Okay, but at that point you've already eaten so much. But I was but I was telling you everybody eats till the point of like I cannot eat anymore. 
And I think it maybe was a little different being a pastor's kid because we wanted to, we didn't want to look like we were playing favorites with anybody. Mm. Oh, okay. That tracks. That makes sense. So now I think it's a good time to talk about main courses. So what's the score so far that we have? So, um, oh, I don't know. I, I, I let's see. Track. We like, so for bread, I won for, uh, for desserts. I think we called Wait, it a side dishes. My mac and cheese, the mac and the... cheese beat Kugel. I, yeah. That that's clearly and desserts. Obviously. We called it a tie because we haven't really had too much cultural exchange to like make a good determination right yeah so but uh but for soups, soups i, I won causes cancer <laughs> yeah it, it literally will give you cancer like it, it will give you colon cancer if you eat that much hey man i smoked for like i smoked for two years yeah and but that's I a lung cancer that's lung cancer that's but not listen, like cancer. like i quit so now if i want cheeseburger soup like once in a while I think that's like, it's like my reward for not smoking anymore. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Okay. But still, yeah. like, See? See? my soup, my soup cures cancer. Your soup. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But you still won. Soup. So I, I won that one. So I think I'm up one to, I'm up two to one. That sounds about right. Yeah. I want to talk about main courses because there's no dish that you can possibly have that stands up to braised brisket. So I am already aware that this is going to turn into another cheeseburger soup situation. But my favorite Baptist main course is brought and taught casserole. That's a casserole. That's not a main dish. Casserole's a side. No. Casserole is a main dish if it has meat in it. Like chicken pot pie, dude. Okay, you know what? It- if it's tater tot and sausage casserole, then for the good of the consumer's health, it had better be the main course and not a side. Because lines get blurred when you like take tater tots, which are undoubtedly <laughs> a side, and combine them with the meat itself into one dish. So I'm going to take that response as like a minor win because I get the feeling that I'm not going to have a lot more wins from here on out. And for the record, <clears throat> it is <clears throat> bratwurst. Uh, like cream of mushroom soup, tater tots, sour cream, and large amounts of cheddar cheese. So I am absolutely not going <laughs> to concede defeat in this situation because whatever monstrosity tater tot and bratwurst casserole is, is not better than a slow cooked braised brisket. Oh, I'm not saying it's better than brisket. I'm saying that the fact that you conceded that it's a main dish is like that's a, that's like a minor win that I'm going to claim because... I know I'm doomed with this one. <laughs> okay, because just you know the salt and the fat and the salt and the fat. Because like oh I, the thing the thing about the thing about uh, the brisket is, and most of the food that I'm talking about now is is Ashkenazi food, and there's a lot of different kinds of Jewish people. Most of the Jewish people that you meet in America are Ashkenazi, which means that their uh, ancestors uh, or most recent ancestors lived in in Europe, and they when they left the the Middle East. Uh, they ended up in Europe uh, rather than uh, other places in the Middle East or North Africa or Spain. Um, But Jewish food um, and specifically, like I I think that brisket is a perfect example of this as like one of the staples of like Ashkenazi, like cooking is when it's done properly, you know, with each mouthful, it allows you to enjoy the sweetness of freedom while it reminds you of the bitterness of oppression 
and the pain of slavery and violence and centuries of persecution. And there is no better taste. The Jewish people know that there is no better taste than the sweetness of freedom when you have experienced nothing but homelessness, displacement, poverty, cruelty. And like, let me use brisket as an example to explain this. Like this dish originated in Europe in the 1700s when Jewish people, we were poor, when we were living in the shtetls, which um, if you're not familiar is a like is a name for like a poor village, like usually in like Eastern Europe, like Hungary or Czechoslovakia, Russia, Ukraine or Belarus or Poland or Lithuania. But we were poor, we were destitute and we couldn't afford like the tender, expensive cuts of beef and like the flanks, Angus, sirloin, ribeye, like we could only afford the brisket and the brisket. If you're not familiar is a tough, like muscly cut of meat from the cow's front leg. And it was not seen as like, delicious or desirable but it's all that we could afford so like what did we do we took that tough like cut of garbage meat that was like only good enough that people would feed it to their dogs and we slow cooked it until it became tender and until it became more delicious than your decadent cheeseburger soup or your hedonistic bratwurst and tater tot casserole it tastes like making lemonade from lemons it tastes like a rose blooming in the ghetto it tastes like a displaced people's brutal and unyielding will to survive against any adversity so this brisket in a nutshell can like explain thousands of years of jewish history in just one bite and that's something that you can't beat no matter how much sour cream and cheese and carbs and sausage you can stuff into a casserole dish mic drop (laughs) so that is that deserves a mic drop that is a really beautiful sentiment and i think i could analogize like that story of struggle and survival to some of the depression era southern food yeah that is like so near and dear to my heart Unfortunately, we're not talking about Southern food. We're talking about Baptist food. And Baptist is not a culture, or at least not a culture worth praising in terms of food. So this idea is not particularly different from soul food being invented from the scraps by enslaved Black people. No, Um, not at all. No, but I want to back up real quick, because I thought that you said that Baptists had the best food. I mean, right. So enslaved people made Southern food what it is. And I should never talk about like how great turnip greens or cornbread are without giving credit to the people who made that out of nothing. Yeah. But I didn't say that Baptist food is the best. (laughs) I said that people say that Baptist food is the best. Well, that saying is clearly a self-aggrandizing lie. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Yeah, considering recent episodes that we've researched and recorded, are you really so surprised to hear a Baptist tell a tell a lie like that? Well, having listened to a fair number of Jack Hiles sermons, I'm pretty sure that 80% of the words out of that man's mouth were self-aggrandizing lies. Yeah, that's that's my point. <laughs> but I did love that you called these foods decadent and hedonistic though, because I think that leads into some of the the logical reasons that super carby and very high calorie foods are typically found on Baptist tables. Cause remember okay. we're talking, 
there's like there's a legitimate reason for this. We're talking about this group of people where tobacco, alcohol, movies, premarital hand holding, uh, popular hand music, <laughs> popular music, and certain clothing are all forbidden. Food is the singular acceptable vice. So you might hear occasional mentions of gluttony in sermons, but usually it's a jo- as a joke. And overeating is absolutely glorified by Baptist preachers. So food is like your one vice. It's the one place where you get to let loose. And it's also the focal point of celebrations because there's no alcohol. There aren't, we don't do toast. There's no toast to make because you're drinking sweet tea. So instead of being asked to make a toast, you get asked the honor Instead of making a toast, the honor is who gets to say the prayer over the food. Yeah, like the the closest thing you can get to buzz is like getting the sugar rush. Yeah. Yeah. So if Jewish food tastes like the sweetness of freedom after 400 years of slavery, then Baptist food tastes like forbidden sexual deviance and unfulfilled desires and an empty pit of loneliness and sadness and emotional fi- and physical isolation expressed through a smorgasbord of decadence and chaos made from incoherent ingredients. Sort of like a teenager's diary, just like hormones and pent-up frustration (laughs) and peer pressure and insecurity, all with only one outlet. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say, you know, you you said Jewish food tastes like, you know, freedom after... 400 years of slavery. Right. So Baptist food tastes like being told that you're free and trying real hard to believe it. And instead of, so like, instead of cooking with butter, you guys are cooking with, I can't believe it's not freedom. Okay. So here's, you did a a really sweet analogy. Let me do, let me do my analogy for a Baptist food. Okay. So you are promised a beautiful, fresh baked chocolate cake. But you okay. show up to the place that the cake is supposed to be and you find out that actually you're expected to bake the cake yourself from a dusty box mix with eggs that are like one day before the expiration date. And uh, you don't have vegetable oil, but you can choose between like Crisco and olive oil. Okay. So is it still fresh baked chocolate cake? Well, yeah. Just not the way that you were sold the idea. Oh, and also your family and friends have become super emotionally invested in this chocolate cake because they and you have all been told that this particular exact chocolate cake is the only chocolate cake that will ever make them happy. It's the best in the world. Yeah, it's it's the only satisfactory chocolate cake that there is. So whether you really want to stay there and bake the cake or not, you definitely feel obligated to stay and bake the cake. You could just walk away and say, no, I'm going to go buy a chocolate cake. The door isn't locked or anything, but there's suddenly a lot of pressure on you and on this cake. And then in the end, you end up eating the entire cake to shove down the feelings of shame about not making your friends and family a better chocolate cake. And you hate yourself because you're not a better baker. Well, even if it were the most delicious cake in the world, I don't think I would be able to enjoy it. Because it would probably have mayonnaise icing. Oh my god! Oh my god! I can tell you the mayonnaise cake story. What on earth is mayonnaise cake? 
<laughs> you said nanny. You guys put it in everything. <laughs> so you just gave me like an actual flashback. Okay. So I often went on the bus route that my dad ran in Des Moines, Iowa. And there was an older lady who rode the bus to church. And, you know, so I don't know if you know enough about Slipknot. Uh, the band Slipknot, they all grew up in, like, trailer parks outside of Des Moines. That's, like, this, like, rough background that they have in common. Okay. Okay, so it's one of those trailer parks. It was never, um, my, it was never my scene, but I'm, I'm familiar with the band. Yeah, so, like, like, where Slipknot is from. That's where my dad's bus route was from. Like that when we lived in Iowa. So this lady rode, rode the bus to church and she kept bringing up her famous recipe for mayonnaise cake. So you know how people put uh, sour cream in chocolate cake sometimes? No, but go on. Well, it's the same idea as that. Like mayonnaise replaces some or all of the fat in the cake. So it would normally be butter or oil, but you've replaced it with mayonnaise. So one Sunday, this lady, after weeks and weeks of talking about her famous mayonnaise cake, uh, shows up with a sheet cake. like, And it's her famous cake. Oh, okay. So this is where it kind of gets weird because I get offered a piece and my dad like steps in and says, I can't have any. And I was really upset because we didn't have a whole lot of sweets at home. But my parents never said that we couldn't have some if somebody had sweets or food at church. Like, my parents never said no to somebody else giving us stuff. So years later, it took years for me to find out why my dad had gotten, like, suddenly so stern about me not having cake that morning. Wait, this is in the morning? Who's eating cake in the morning? People who ride a bus to church. (sighs) Okay. So this lady had brought like one knife and some paper plates to cut and serve this cake to all the kids on the bus on the way to church. But after she cut the cake, she would serve each slice and then lick the knife clean and then cut and serve another slice. Yeah. So that's why my dad was like, no, you can't have any. Like, so Uh, people are nasty. Yeah, yeah, that's. I, I don't think that's that church related. Is, it's just a funny story. I bet that lady is walking around with no mask. Times of Corona. <laughs> oh yeah, probably. But did you ever try mayonnaise cake? Was it any good? Yeah, I did have it at some point, like in my childhood. I don't really remember when. So clearly, it wasn't impressive. Um, I think if if I was going to try anything like that, I would make it with sour cream instead of mayonnaise because. Like the mayonnaise doesn't do anything that sour cream couldn't do better. Okay. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm glad that we're on the same page about that because sour cream yeah, is all right. So I do like we're we're like getting close to wrapping this one up, and I have a little bit of a special treat for this episode. Oh, okay. I'm gonna talk about a happy childhood memory that doesn't really have a dark side. Oh, please do. I'll try not to ruin it for you. Yeah, I was going to say, if you do see a dark side, just like, just like, let me have one. Okay. Okay. Regardless of all of these, you know, opinions about Baptist food, these church dinners that I was talking about most of this episode, they were really fun for me as a kid. All the adults would eat and talk and all of us kids would run around with literal full dinner plates covered in desserts (laughs) and just like completely hyped up on sugar and 
depending on whose parents had their back to the coffee machine, we would also have a bunch of coffee. <laughs> and it's just okay. a really good... Oh, man, I started drinking coffee regularly when I was five, but that's another story for another time. And it's just like a really pure memory for me because I think the parents kind of relaxed and let the kids have the run of the church for a couple hours. Mm -hmm. And since we didn't eat dessert at home very often, and I had literally a full plate of dessert. And those were those were really like fun, innocent times for me. So that's a genuinely nice story. And that's genuinely nice sentiment. And I'm not going to try to ruin it for you because I think that what we've got here are two genuinely different philosophies on food. For me, good flavor means that you have to have like a delicate balance between several perceptible flavors right because you've got like subtlety to it you've got like you can combine sweet and savory or sour and bitter and like different levels but it seems like you guys just sort of went into the camp of anything worth doing is worth overdoing so it's like jewish food is like the movie once upon a time in america and it's sad it's sweet it's salty it's strong it's bitter but it's fulfilling but Baptist food is like Transformers 2, Revenge of the Fallen. <laughs> and I think right now we might have been gotten gotten into, you know, I think we got into an argument earlier about, because I said something like putting cheese on something doesn't automatically make it better. And that like, that was <laughs> so, like heresy. <laughs> so all of this has been more of like a fun argument for me. Yeah. But the, the truth is, I think the bottom line is that if food is the only outlet where you have any freedom, if it's your only acceptable vice, then you do. You just go way over the top. And, you know, while I've definitely adjusted my eating habits quite a bit in adulthood, this is one area. My childhood was it was fun. Yeah. Eating cheeseburger soup, I have no doubt that that would be fun. Well, it really was. And like every time I bring up a childhood story, there's a chance that either I remember a really dark detail that just didn't occur to me how dark it was until I said it out loud, or you see a dark side that I hadn't considered or f found yet. But this is a fun <laughs> one for me because these are some just, just some really nice memories for me. Okay, and that's perfectly fine because I can say from – personal experience that your baking skills are top notch and i remember that lemon meringue pie you made me and it was really quite delicious and so i'm glad that we could do an episode where like it was part of your upbringing uh, your upbringing that while being a little bit ugh, while being a little bit eccentric it isn't like based in trauma and cruelty and brainwashing like they usually are yeah and i appreciate your nice your nice words about my lemon meringue pie it was good I I think there's like a tiny interesting point there as well, because as I've moved away from the IFB world, there are some aspects of traditional femininity that I've just dropped and never looked back. Why would you? Right. But there are some traditionally feminine things that I really, truly just love. And baking is one of them. And I, you know, it's been healing it's i love your baking too so i'm not going to complain and i love baking for people and it's and like i said earlier it's nice having you around because like i literally have a list of people that i text like hey i just made this thing it is way too much i can't i have no room in my house i've baked my house full will you come get this yes every time and, and it's been super super healing for me as well because it's been one of these things where like yes this is a traditionally quote unquote women's work can you hear me rolling my eyes? Um, 
you know, it's a traditionally feminine thing. But it's positive and it's a thing that you're really good at. And- it's something that I just genuinely like doing and it's kind of helped me reclaim myself from from this misogyny that I did experience. Like, oh, nope, this is a thing that I just like. So I do have to take this in a less forgiving direction at the end here, uh, because as much as it may seem like fun and games to make fun of all of this food as being unhealthy, like or, or high in fat or high in sodium or high in sugar or not very nutritious or served in excessive portions, like there is like a real problem here. And when we were in the planning stages of this episode, I just like I was just like cracking jokes about these foods. Like I and so I decided I wanted to Google obesity statistics with regards to different religious denominations. And um just like as a joke, like I didn't have any idea whether the statistics actually existed. But I did find a study from Purdue University that looked exactly at that. It's from 2006. And the overwhelming results of this uh, study were that Baptists had by far the highest instance of obesity. And this ranged in the study from like 24% to 30%, as opposed to Jews who had an obesity rate of 1%. And the other non-Christians, so like Muslim, Buddhists, and Hindus, were at less than 1%. And I think that um, other Protestants um, and then Catholics were all between like 18 and 20 so clearly, Booby's chicken soup is a better life choice than cheeseburger soup. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I don't feel 100% confident about my perceptions uh, because, you know, one, I was a kid and two, I was raised in the Midwest and the South, which are already stereotypically places where the obesity rate is higher. Yeah. But I can say that just about every adult that I knew growing up was overweight. The percentage was just astronomical. And it's so strange the way that weight is treated in the IFB. Uh, if this is going to, if eating disorders is going to be triggering, just hit the skip button for like 30 or 60 seconds. But women, especially we've talked about the prevalence of eating disorders among young women in the IFB. And especially younger women who haven't had children yet are super just insanely pressured into being thin for their future husband or for their husband. But other than that one group of people, being overweight or eating unhealthily is just not a thing. It's just a joke that people make. It's really strange because it's this culture where if somebody sees you smoking a cigarette or drinking a beer, you will be called on the carpet and shamed for you are defiling your body and your body is the temple of God. How could you do that? But no one has anything to say about just terrible dietary choices unless you're a woman under 30 or a woman who's looking for a husband. So the other thing that I want to bring up is that when we were preparing for this episode, I mentioned that red meat, aside from just like having higher fat content, higher calorie content, red meat increases the risk of heart disease and it increases the risk of stomach and colon cancer. And this is literally the first time you'd ever had anybody tell you that. Yeah, that was just incredibly shocking for me to hear because I, you know, I know that certain sweeteners in your food can potentially cause cancer or like uh, certain food dyes that are not good natural ingredients or whatever. Yeah. But I have no idea that regular food that regular people eat like meat can cause cancer. I was completely shocked. And I think this gets filed in the same drawer as... um 
like not having proper sex ed in school or not having proper human biology taught at all. It's one of those things that even though I've spent most of the last five years trying to become more informed about a whole plethora of things, I still have some large knowledge gaps, just places I haven't gotten filled in yet. Wow. It's okay, and though. I'm going to keep keep looking, keep learning. So on that note, I think that what we're going to do is we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about freaks and geeks. Um, and you'll want to stick around for that because that's going to be really good. After all this, I think I need to take a snack break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Let's see you guys in a bit. Hey, Gavrielle here. If you enjoy the Leaving Eden podcast, head over to our Facebook group, Eden Exodus, where you can talk to other fans, ask us questions, and share memes. That's facebook.com slash Eden Exodus. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Leaving Eden podcast, and you'll get access to extended and uncensored episodes. You can also support our show by recommending it to your family and your friends. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. And now, back to the show. Yeah, thanks for waiting for us. Uh, now we're back. Uh, so last week, if you listened to it last week, uh, the homework section, we assigned Sadie to watch the TV show Freaks and Geeks, which was, uh, I think it came out in like 99, 2000. Um, so... Sadie, so you didn't watch every episode of it. You watched like half the episodes. I watched it, right? about half. Yeah. So, so you said watch this TV show. So I go on. I'm like, oh, it's a 40 minute episode, not a 20 minute episode. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I can get through 12 of these, and then it turns out there's 18 episodes. And like, yeah, oh my goodness. it was a bit of a big assignment. I don't know. I think maybe Listen, like, like, I know we're quarantined, yeah. but we, we were writing some really hardcore episodes at the time that we, this was also the homework. We were writing those huge episodes too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we was, were writing. I'm sorry. We no, it got a about, little much. Um, yeah. So we were writing about, uh, 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 Jack Hiles and stuff. Yeah, and so we it's, were. It's, we oh, were, it's a lot of work. Yeah, we were just writing those like those super heavy biography episodes that are that I'm super excited about. But they it was just taking. Yeah, everything was just taking so long. So, like, how far into the show did you get? Um, so, so what's going on with the characters? So the one that the I got through episode seven, which is the one where um, Lindsay and her friends try to buy the they try to get fake IDs. Yes, because they're so they, they they want to go to like the cool bar. So they're trying to they're they're trying to go see a band play, and so they have to get fake IDs to to go do it. And they, it's 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 very funny. I really thought like my favorite episode though was the one the one before that, where um so Jason Segel's character is uh yes he's it's all Nick. about him and his drums. And he, it was neat because there's yes. a there's a Rush mention in there, which is a band we both love. Sadie and I are both huge fans of of the Canadian progressive rock band Rush. Um, I I don't know if we would have ever really hit it off if it hadn't been for the Rush bag. Me having yeah, see, I have a I have a, a messenger bag that has uh, that says Rush on it, um, twenty one twelve, and. 
I had it at work and then Sadie was like, oh, you like Rush? I like Rush. Anyway, so I want to talk about like Nick as a character because I love him. Yeah, it's, he's played by Jason Siegel. But then again, and, I love Jason Siegel. Just like. Yeah, see, Nick's Nick's character is the kind of guy who he's he has he's not a dumb guy. He's smart. He has potential, but he just really like school isn't for him. And we all know character. We all know people like that, that. That school isn't for him. All he really wants to do is play drums, and he wants to to practice drums and get good at drums so that he can, um, you know. And he's good at sports. He's good at basketball, but you know, it's the sort of thing where he smoked too much weed, and really that got in the way of him being successful. And so it's kind of like sad to look at him, but also you look at him and you see, oh, well, he's he's not a bad guy. He just needs to shape up here and there and he could be really successful. Well, and, and I almost felt like it wasn't even completely his fault because the other guys in his band like don't care. They think yeah. they can just make noise on an electric guitar and it'll be cool. And they've got this like actually talented drummer who wants to actually do stuff. And then well, when Lindsay tries yeah. to like make them make them do it, then then she gets called Yoko basically. But it's just because the other three of them don't care. They're just making noise in a basement, basically, and so um, so this the, uh, Nick's character, he's like, I actually want to be a drummer, and then he goes to an audition and bombs the audition just absolutely bombs it he sounded so bad when he tried to play right and i think that's because like he's used to playing well it was on it wasn't he wasn't playing on his kit for one no. which that's that's already just such a disadvantage but he also wasn't playing like his type of music either yeah he wanted to play sunshine of your love and they played crossroads instead and he was like no i i it didn't work for him, but also like, if you want to be a professional drummer, you have to be able to roll with the punches. So what did you think of Sam and his friends? Um, and they get bullied pretty, pretty badly. So what, what did you think of them? I just felt like on, like my perception of them is just like, Oh my gosh, they're so young. You're like, yeah. I, I don't know if I have just a word perspective of, of when people go to high school. But they seem like right. babies. They seem <laughs> like right. Well, if you look at if you look at Sam, there was the one episode. Did you see the episode with Rashida Jones in it? Yes, I did. Yeah. So Rashida Jones shows up in an episode, um, kind of randomly. But uh, there, Rashida Jones is kind of picking on on Sam, and she like literally like pulls his shirt up and is like. I bet you don't even have hair in your pits and he doesn't. And it's like really, really embarrassing. But like, he, he this kid is like 14, but like, I mean, I don't know. He I, just I remember doesn't when look I was 14. He looks 12 to me. Yeah. I mean, when I was in high school, you know, you know, we have to change for gym class and there were some kids who were 14 and they like, you know, hairy chests and like, you know, bad mustaches and like <laughs> they had muscles and then there were kids who were 14 and were just like sticks yeah i mean that's you know? like kind of like so outside my experience because by my school like we did have gym class but there was like there's all these like modesty requirements right so yeah. you're not like having you're not having any of that kind of like locker room experience at least at least not to my experience oh, not the way that it's shown in this or not the way that it's shown in most movies so to me that's like it's a 
it's like a different world because I come from this culture where, uh, you know, you don't really see other people's bodies at all, even in that kind of like platonic way. And I come from this culture where like you don't comment, you don't talk about body parts, you don't know the words for a lot of body parts at sometimes, depending on, you know, how deep you grow up in it. But also you're you're a woman and I feel like for men it would probably be different. I don't maybe I, I don't, know. don't know. So like it's just it feels Maybe we'll have to ask some IFB dudes to come on and be IFB like, boys, Hey, did you get yeah. did you get beat up in the locker room in high school? Oh, I got beat up in the yeah. locker room. I just got beat up with clothes on. <laughs> oh so <laughs> I mean that that was probably there because no, I got beat up by a girl who looks so much like Busy Phillips in this, so it kind of oh, trips man. this entire show. Kind of trips me out because this girl who was totally a bully to me when I was in school, so she doesn't have blonde hair, but facially she looks so much like her. So it's been the whole thing has been kind of a head trip. So Busy Phillips is another character that I want to talk about. Um, Or the character's name is Kim Kim Kelly. Yeah, Kim Kelly is played by Busy Phillips. And she's, I think, one of my favorite characters in the show. See, I just like, I'm just so uncomfortable whenever she's on screen. I'm getting those like physical reactions. You know, like my muscles are tensed and like I'm getting that fight or flight reaction. Because yeah. she looks so much like this person I used to know. Well, here's here's the thing that I was because Busy Phillips, um, she's one of the, and you've seen the episode where she and Lindsay get to have dinner. be friends. Yeah, they have dinner yeah. at her house. Yeah, Kim Kelly starts like she's she's really mean to to Lindsay, but it like then we find out more about Kim's background, and Kim's background is really kind of sad because you know she her, her her home life is not great and her boyfriend who's played by James Franco really doesn't treat her well at all and Jerk. everybody is yeah everybody is is treating her poorly and you know and in school she's never really had a subject that really appealed to her and she's trying to get through this Jack Kerouac book and she's like, Oh, this book is terrible. It just sounds like gibberish, which, you know, in all fairness, it is kind of gibberish. Um, fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. And so like, it's, it's very much a classic case of somebody who is abused and who redistributes their pain onto other people. Yeah. I just, I thought, I mean, maybe it's just a testament to how good of an actor Busy Phillips is, because just even those like little, the little cruel kind of mouth motions and the way you set your chin, you know, the way she, the way she carries herself, even those little little tiny micro expressions. She knows exactly what she's doing. Yeah. She played that character so well. And I think honestly, maybe that's why you know, the character creeped me out so much that it was even difficult for me to watch it because she does such a good job. She played a bully so well. Yeah, that's exactly how somebody behaves when they are doing exactly that, you know, redistributing their pain onto, onto innocent bystanders because that's just all they know how to do. Yeah, so um, now that we've talked about Kim, I want to talk about uh, uh daniel desario how what was your feeling about him i don't like him 
Yeah. See, that's that's kind of my reaction to when when I was watching it at the beginning, I was like, oh, he he's kind of cool. Don't trust him. Don't like him. I think he's a poser. Yeah, because he's a cool looking guy and he has a leather jacket and a firebird. Um, yeah, and I'm like, oh, this guy's kind of cool. But he gets away with some really reprehensible behavior because he's handsome. And that that's not cool. But I mean, here here's the thing. You go back to the the band episode where right. Right. So Nick is is like working his butt off trying to be a super good drummer and he really really has this dream of this band going somewhere. And Daniel is just he's kneecapping him everywhere phoning it in and and just does not care he thinks that he is just gonna look so cute on stage that nobody's gonna care if he plays guitar well which which just shows that he doesn't understand music which makes me a little bit miffy because that sounds like vince neal (laughs) it's the vince neal effect Oh God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those sort of situations where, um, in like, in my view, cause like there's an episode, he even, he literally hits on his teacher during class. Do you remember that? I don't know if I saw, was that, was that in one of the, one of the ones I, that I saw? I don't know if that's in one of the ones that you saw, but like, like there's literally later. a scene where he's hitting on. Yeah. Or, um, and there's a scene where he's, uh, where, he he cheats on Kim with Rashida Jones. I did see that one. Uh, and he there's also a scene where he's like trying to flirt with Lindsay oh, to get yeah. what he no, wants. No, I think and I then, did see that scene as well. Yeah. And like she's clearly like kind of into him because I mean James Franco is a handsome man and she's like, "Oh, like let me let me get it." But he's also just such a scumbag. To me, yeah, I just feel like I just feel like that's so lazy if you want to just skate by on looks like that how it seems to me is that he's one of those people that um if he sees other people trying and and working hard to be successful then that makes him feel bad about himself for not trying and not working hard to be successful right but the response to that isn't well i maybe i should try and work hard it's maybe I should kneecap whatever they're doing and try to tear them down. <laughs> right. The response to that is, oh, how can I make them fail so I look better? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, it's um, a little disappointing to see somebody so handsome being such a jerk. Really? I mean, I'm I'm very used to attractive people being mean. Oh, I'm not saying it's abnormal. I'm just saying that it's still a shame to see yeah. it. <laughs> so... I want to now I'm going to go and talk about somebody who is the polar opposite of Daniel Desario in every single way. Um, And this is a character who I think that you might relate to a little bit. This is Millie. So Millie, if if Millie is Lindsay's friend from before she went and started hanging out with the burnouts Um, and Millie is is very religious. Uh, She's on the mathletes team. She's also um, in like the all the anti the anti drugs and alcohol like PSAs at the school. So in in I think the second or third episode. Yeah, and they want and and the freaks talk Lindsay into having a party. Yeah, because she like 
she's like, oh, Daniel is so cute. Maybe I can I can get with him because he and Kim are broken up right now. Um, And 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 Sam and and Bill and Neil, who are like the geeks, the nerds, they're like, oh, no, they they see this. They see this skit that's all about um, like the the, dangers of alcohol. And Sam is like, Sam takes it very seriously. So he and his friends decide, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go and swap out the keg of real beer for a keg of non-alcoholic. Right, They get their hands on (laughs) a keg of non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. They spend Neil's bar mitzvah (laughs) money on a keg of non-alcoholic beer and take it to, um, and take it to the party. But the the running joke is also that he's in love with Sam's sister. He's in love with well, Lindsay. Well, there's a there's a thing in the in the party episode about that. And so anyway, we we were talking about Millie. And Millie is uh is Lindsay's very conservative and very religious friend. She's the friend. one who does the anti-alcohol PSAs. She's like Yes. And 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 she shows up at this party. And at the party, they've the 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 geeks have switched out the beer for non-alcoholic beer, but the teenagers partying at the house can't tell the difference. They all think they're <laughs> so drunk. They all think they're they drunk. All think they're drunk. <laughs> which uh, is a social experiment. If I had a time machine to go back and do that to myself at 16 would just be it's so funny. I think it's <laughs> like go yeah. back and just anyway. Um, anyway, they all think they're drunk. And they're like playing music on the piano at the house. Yeah, it was it was uh, Doobie Brothers. Jesus is just all and right she, with me. Yes, she's playing Jesus is just all right with me. And that was the scene where I thought, oh, that well, that's who I am in this story. <laughs> for better or for worse, yeah. that's who I was at fifteen and sixteen. <laughs> well, it's it gets interesting because um, there's a, and you didn't get this far. But there's uh, an episode where Kim goes and picks Lindsay up at, at Lindsay's house. And, and Millie lives across the street from Lindsay. And Kim picks Lindsay up and gets in the car. And they accidentally run over Millie's oh, no. dog, but they don't know about it. Yeah. And so Millie's dog oh. dies. And then Millie, like, basically loses all faith in God. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. It's, it's here. And so they're like, um, and so. Kim figures out what happened and feels really bad about it and starts being really nice to Millie and starts being like, okay, well we should hang out and, and let's, you know, be friends and stuff like that. And they're all going to go to like a who concert together. They're all going to go see the who. (laughs) And then they're like outside in the street and, they're like getting ready to go to the concert and then somebody hands Millie a beer and she's about to drink it. And then Kim's like, no, I killed your dog. Oh, you shouldn't drink it. Yeah. So it's, it's very much like, okay, well we find out who these characters really are, but I, yeah, but it's really interesting because there's an episode where she really like stands up to her mom. So is her mom the one who's like kind of pushing her to, to be super religious? Well, she, I, she comes from a religious family. Okay. Um, so it's it's the sort of thing where when she starts to behave poorly, 
you know, it seems like it's out of character. And then her, her parents, rather than being like, what's going on here, they're getting really strict. Okay. Because like what I yeah. was wondering, the part the part that I didn't get to was far enough to see, is Millie, is she super religious because like that's who she is? Or is it more because like that's all, she hasn't really been given the option of like, oh, you can be that way or you cannot be that way. I think it's a little of column A and a little of column B with her. Yeah. Is is how is how I would best describe it. Like she's she's raised in that, but then, you know, she doesn't like may like a lot of people who are raised religious. You know, they decide, well, this is what I want out of my life anyway. So. Yeah, I mean that's that's yeah. true. Um, I guess like what I'm interested in always, just because of my background, is seeing somebody get to make that choice because it doesn't bother me if somebody was raised religious and then comes to be an adult comes to an understanding of who they are as a person. And then they decide, Oh, I think I still would like to follow this religious tradition. Like that doesn't bother me at all. What bothers me is when my, when I perceive that someone has just breezed through childhood, teenage years, adulthood, and never stopped to consider, is this really who I am? You know, have I, am I doing this because I feel like it's the only option or am I doing this because it's what I really want? When I, when I don't perceive someone has ever thought about it or considered whether that's the best path for them, that's what bothers me. Right. But that's just my own, you know, that's just my own story and my own um, upbringing speaking. (laughs) But what I'm watching for with Millie is I'm watching and like, okay, when does she get to decide if it's her or not? You know, that because that's what I'm just laser focused on. So the other uh, there's a few other things that I wanted to talk about. Um, One is how did you feel about I guess you never got to the point where Sam and Cindy Sanders get together. So I saw the is that the cheerleader girl? That's the cheerleader. So Sam, Sam, who's like this little tiny little like geeky little boy he's in love with this cheerleader well the so so he gets he gets those bullies get a hold of him and like steal his towel and he has to run he has to strike through the school but he gets like but he gets like notoriety from that yeah because like back in the 80s i guess streaking was a thing that people would do and they'd be like way to go that's funny like it was just like a prank and so like that actually ends up like giving him some clout (laughs) i mean yeah, this is this is just a few short years after people were uh, stuffing 19 people into a phone booth or 47 people into a Volkswagen, you know, before before yeah, planking prank and <laughs> parkour. This is what they had, I guess. But the cheerleader, <laughs> but she's like, way to go, Sam. Like, nice job. Yeah, and it, that happens like right when his bully is like picking on him and being like, "Huh, you're like you got your clothes back, weirdo." Right. So it's this it's this like sweet revenge moment where like the bully realizes that the plan has backfired and Sam is now like a a local celebrity for doing this like super cool thing. But I didn't get much past that in terms of their relationship. So Eventually, Sam and Cindy get together, and then Sam realizes, oh, there's more to being into somebody than just being attracted to them, because they realize they don't really have all that much in common. Oh, yeah. Um, 
and that hanging out with her isn't that interesting which is kind of a bummer and then they break up uh but it was interesting because before that happens sam gets to become um the mascot for the the team oh okay because he's little so he fits in the the mascot outfit okay yeah he fits in the mascot con- uh, outfit and he does really well and you know and he's like oh i'm actually good at this and then so it's sort of like a divide between like the uh the jocks there's and the like a, a equilibrium being reached and the jocks would like clean them the jocks would like clean them out and bully them and stuff but then sam gets close to them and realizes oh well this guy he's, he's nice to me he thinks i'm funny and he he like you know huh. he like maybe these guys aren't all bad like i thought that they were um and that's really interesting, but that wants, uh, that sort of takes me into something else because how did you feel? So how did you feel about the way that this show treated like outsiders or, or people who would be othered in a more conservative society? I feel like it almost just presented everybody for who they were. There's just not a lot of like ambiguity, just like this is who this person is and this is how they behave. It's like the show's not trying to moralize on they're a good person or they're a bad person or they're, you know. They they just write them plot lines. It's right? not. It's yeah. just like, well, no, this is who that person is. It's very matter of fact. So there's a few examples that I wanted to talk about specifically. Um, I guess you didn't get to all of these, but um, I guess in the first episode, who was it was Eli. Um was the the kid i guess he's on the uh, on the autism spectrum it seemed like and people were being really mean to him and he was trying to get a date for the dance and Lindsay's parents were making her and sam go to the dance even though they really didn't want to right. and then Lindsay is like eli would you like to go to the dance and because a bunch of kids were like bullying him and stuff and being like oh you should ask this girl to ha- to the right. dance you know and 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 it, it was it was really like kind of a mean way, and he just didn't really quite understand that they were being mean to him. And Lindsay was like, "Eli, I would love to go to the dance with you." And then he got really excited, and you know, she was really trying to like treat him like a regular person, when other people were were really just just picking on him, and it, it felt really wrong the way that they were doing that. Well, that's the thing. Like our our main characters. Yeah just have this like pragmatism about how they view the people around them. They're not so like, I mean, even, even Daniel who is more concerned with his image than most of our main characters, even he's not really thinking about like social climbing. Um, Like you mentioned the episode where he, he cheats on Kim with um, Rashida Jones character. Yeah. He wasn't doing that to, like, get ahead. He wasn't in his head like, oh, I'm going to get somebody better. I'm going to get somebody a step up from Kim. It was just, like, a, a opportunistic, like, oh, there's a hot girl here. You know, it's like. Yeah, why he's not? Like, yeah. Even, just not really thinking And, like, ahead. he has the most kind of, like, um, to me, he seems like the character who's the most interested in, like, social advancement or or rank climbing. But even he isn't isn't really acting in those interests. It's like nobody none of our main characters just care 
about like the social hierarchy. It's more just like, here's who I am as a person. And because of that, you know, this is who I end up hanging out with. It's like they exist outside that. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that makes it compelling. Yeah. yeah. It's about the people who exist outside. Yeah. And I, I thought that was sort of interesting. Um, do you have any just sort of like general overarching views about the show and like the way that this show portrayed people? I mean, it's always it's always still weird to me to see people like drinking and smoking weed, like as like a matter of fact, like this is just what we do in high school. It's just really like I I logically understand that this is a thing that people do, but it just and like because hmm. I've heard you know I have friends who were who were raised in the normal people world, and, and I hear stories from you know people that I know. It just still always kind of seems weird to me. Really? Yeah. It's okay. Just, it's just so different from my experience. I mean, I that's kind of just what would happen. Well, I mean, it's school. the kind yeah. of thing where it's not just like the fact that you would morally be okay with doing such a thing. It's not that at all. It's how. How did you manage this? Because at 16, if even if I had decided, you know, I want to quote unquote be bad and drink an alcohol. <laughs> There is no way in the world I would have had access to that because nobody I knew had alcohol in the fridge. And I would have no idea. When I was a kid, it was just like, oh, well, I have a friend. My friend has an older brother and his older brother is cool. And I would have had no idea that like people did that. You know, I didn't I, I was so so far removed that even if I had decided, you know, at 16, oh, I want to be a bad kid and I want to drink, there's no way I could have accessed that. There, You wouldn't have known what to no do. No idea of the yeah. framework. I mean, I probably didn't even know what the legal drinking age was. <laughs> wow. Because you're like, well, we don't do that. Because it's, so it's not information matter. that I'm ever going to need to have. So... I just feel it still just feels so strange to me because I was so I mean, at 16, I was signing contracts that said I would never drink. Um, But were they legally binding? I mean, I sure I sure hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's going to to like, ha ha. I mean, I don't think you can sign your life away when you're under six when you're under 18, which is probably the issue. With that thing that I signed. Yeah. More than anything yeah, else. Yeah, but, um, you know, at 16, I was hardcore. Oh, I would I would never, ever drink. I would, you know, I would never do that. But even if I had wanted to, there is no way that I would have had. Yeah, I wouldn't have had the access. So, like, seeing these people do it so casually is like, oh, you have. How? How? How did you do that? How did you get that? It, what, it, so that's what's weird about it to me. It's not that a teenager would huh. want to drink. It's that it's that a teenager would figure out how to get a hold of alcohol. It's just it's just foreign. Interesting. That's 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 an interesting because people me, always. Yeah. I think now I think. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say yeah. I think that's about the time that we've got for talking about this. Um, yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a minute, but it's a long it's a long series yeah. so. It is a long series, and I, and there was a lot of stuff to talk about it with it. Um, so, 
next week, uh, what I have planned for you, I have a question for you. How familiar are you with uh, 2000s era hip hop Um, and rap music? You're, so you're not at all familiar with 2000s era hip hop and rap no, music? No, I know I know 80s and 90s music pretty well, but okay, but I no. <laughs> so I'm going to assign you an album to listen okay. to. Um, and this is an album that came out when I was a freshman in high school, and when it came out, I would listen to it every single day. Okay, and we were um, freshmen in high school at the same time, so this is like 2008. We were freshmen. Yeah, this this album came out in 2008. Um, this album is uh, Lil Wayne's The Carter Three. Okay, I have, I've I've vaguely heard of that artist. <laughs> you so you've heard of Lil Wayne? Yeah, I think. Okay, because um, because he's pretty famous. I mean, I've heard I've heard uh, preachers mention him. Oh man, I really well. Next time we'll talk about it. Um, but what I want you to do specifically, because Lil Wayne is an artist who, especially during this time, this is like because the Carter Three is probably his best album, um, his his strongest album. What he was really known for is having bizarre but really clever wordplay oh okay i like wordplay so so what i want you to do um is listen to the album through once so you listen to the album once and then i want you to listen to it again and look at the lyrics on genius.com so uh if you're familiar are you familiar with genius um no for for those people who aren't familiar, Genius is a website where if there's the lyrics to a song, then they will have the lyrics annotated to to say what they're talking about. Oh, it's that site that gives um, you like the lyrics, but then there's like a little you can hover and like another window comes up to like explain it more in depth. Yes. Oh, I know what that is. And okay. it's and it's especially useful if you're um if you're new to the genre of hip hop, if you're new to the genre of rap music, um, because so much of the music is heavily, like heavily references things that if you're a big fan of this artist, or if you're a big fan of the scene, then you know about. And so having that all annotated, like almost like an encyclopedia. I mean, that sounds awesome just in general, because like, I'm, because you know, lyrics are, well, you know how I feel about lyrics. Like that's that's what I focus on more in music. Yeah. And so I'm going to have you listen to this album because I think that um the, uh, maybe this isn't like the most repre- the album that's the most representative of what was going on in hip hop in the mid to late 2000s but it's definitely an album that had like massive and considerable influence on stuff that came out later um and lil wayne is probably one of the most influential artists of all time just given not only his um his lyrical ability and but also his uh his position in the industry as the head of uh of his record label and having signed and really platformed people like Drake, um, Nicki Minaj, his relationships with those people has, have really been, um, 
monumental and influential on their careers. Well, I will I will check that out. I am wondering um when <laughs> when do I get to make you listen to the Hiles Anderson tour group albums that I was listening to our freshman year in high school? <laughs> You know what? Like how um, many how many downloads? Like what's what's the goal? <laughs> okay, we get a thousand we get a thousand downloads and I will listen to them and Okay, I because like I, I feel like um I feel like it would be educational for you to to have to listen to these like HAC tour albums that were like the hot thing amongst the oh, IFB man. youths that same that IFB Well because like we're the same age so this is at the same time that you're listening to to this the one genre of music I'm listening to just about the complete yeah. opposite Okay. okay. At, at some point, I'm yeah, gonna because because Lil, Lil Wayne's Carter three because Lil Wayne's Carter three isn't just like really good and influ- influential. It's also weird. It's very weird. Are you gonna explain to what you mean by that? Or are you just gonna make me listen to it? I'm just gonna okay. make you listen to it, and you're gonna just like listen to some song and be like, <laughs> "What?" Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Anyway, uh, that's it for this episode. Um, so next week, what we're going to do is we're going to have um, another episode about Jack Hiles. You guys have heard the first episode about Jack Hiles. Um, and next week, we've got another episode that's about Jack Hiles. So that's going to be part two. Um, but then after that is when you're going to hear Sadie uh, uh, talk about Lil Wayne. Uh, and that's going to be really fun. Um, so anyway, if you want to follow us on social media, the Instagram is uh, leaving Eden podcast. The Twitter is leaving Eden pod. The Facebook is leaving Eden podcast. Sadie, if you want to plug your social media. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter music uh, or on Twitter at Hell yes, Sadie. And what is the email address for uh, crazy IFB comments yeah, and if questions? Yeah, you want to send us an e- <laughs> Yeah, if you want to send us an email, eventually we're going to do like an email episode and like or like an AMA or something. Yeah, whenever uh, y'all start emailing and that us. Is leaving Eden pod at gmail.com. And uh my social media if you want to follow me, I am on Instagram and Twitter at Gavriel Hakohen, G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N at Facebook as well. So can follow those pages get updates from me where i talk about what i'm doing with my music and what's going on with the podcast so uh until next time uh thank you for listening all right bye-bye but old rolling river of time healed me in too many days no regrets no Yeah.